I'm more worthy than what kids told me I was. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And please be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. In today's episode, we are welcoming Kristen Decker to our program. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you very much for joining us on our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you are coming to us from Colorado, is that correct? Yep. Great. The awesome. lovely mountains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's the weather out there today? It's actually pretty nice out, which is surprising from last week our snow to this week it's sunny and 80 so <laughs> that's awesome hopefully some of that can come over here to chicago because it is just cold and rainy oh we're, yeah we're supposed to get sunny tomorrow i, I guess yeah so yeah. maybe it's coming over <laughs> there you go <laughs> so kristen why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um and you know a little bit w- about what you do because you know for some of our our people out there our listeners um, you might not know that Kristen is an anti-bullying advocate and speaker. And so we welcome her to our to our program today to talk a lot about what she does. She's also a co-author in the book that I'm in. Yes, she is. Yeah. Right. And that book, Jean? Overcoming Mediocrity, Fearless, Fearless Women. Fearless Women. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I grew up um, in the Chicagoland area, and bullying has been a huge passion of mine ever since sixth grade, um, as that's when my bullying story started happening. And ever since then, it has been my life mission to help put an end to bullying and let kids know like they are not defined by what anybody says about them, and just encourage everyone to be themselves and encourage everyone to embrace each other and not judge each other. So that is my life mission. <laughs> I, I think it's a it's an important mission, a very important mission, especially in today's day and age. Now that bullying actually uh, it spans into the internet, right, mm-hmm. and social yeah. media, and so it's it's not only uh, happening at school and social circles, but it's happening twenty four seven. Would you mm-hmm. agree with that? Yes especially now with technology and all these new social media platforms and platforms that we don't even honestly know about and these kids find and they just start bullying one another on it. So that's, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's very important. So why don't you tell us, you know, a little bit about, you know, how you started um, getting into this field of working, you know, with anti-bullying. Yeah, so I am currently a mental health social worker in the school districts out in Colorado, but 
my passion has always just been bullying. And it's so hard to hit that in the school system now with things being so common core driven and test driven and things like that. So this past summer, I spoke my story for the very first time in front of 25,000 high school students. And ever since then, it's just been my heart to stand up and let kids know and just share my story a little bit with them. So bullying has always been something that I've wanted to do and worked with, but it's taken a different toll and aspect of how I do it now rather than being in the school system, but now sharing my story on stages and in a book. So let's go back to before the bullying started. What kind of person were you and how are you socially? How are you academically? Yeah, uh, socially I was active. I played sports. I had a good group of friends. I uh, academically was a good student, B's a kind of a student. So So everything's kind of going pretty well in your life. You're a happy kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Um, So beginning in sixth grade, two girls created a burn book about me, kind of like in the movie Mean Girls. And it was just a Kirsten Decker burn book. And they posted everything that they wrote online or posted what they wrote in the book online for everyone to read. And that's kind of when the bullying started for me. And then I don't honestly remember seventh grade that much, but then eighth grade, the bullying started again and kids would yell in the hallway that I was fat and ugly, sent surveys around to their friends asking if they agreed with that statement. And not only was I being bullied in school, but I was also bullied in church with my confirmation class. So it was really took a toll on me because I'm like, okay, like, you know, you get bullied at school, you get bullied at church, but like church is supposed to be a safe place for you to be and, you know, grow in your faith and learn that like God made you with no mistakes. But when kids are telling you like you're ugly, you're fat, it's really hard to learn that. So in eighth grade, that's when my depression and eating disorder began. Can you bring us back to when you first found out about the burn book and what did you think and how did you feel that day? And why do you think they targeted you? I honestly don't know why they targeted me. I think I just became, I think at that stage in life in sixth grade, like you want to be friends with everybody and you crave to be friends with the quote unquote popular people and that's the two who created the book. And so I think then I just be kind of became a target. And I think as the bullying continued, I became so vulnerable and so in my own head about, oh, everybody thinks this about me and everybody, when they look at me, they perceive me as ugly and things like that, that it, that I just became so vulnerable and so lack of self-confidence that it just, it just became an easier target. How did you find out about the book? I found it um, in the desk because one of my friends was like, I think there's a book about you in their desk. And so as we were cleaning out desks one day, it came out of the desk and I saw it. And that had already been happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once I found it, then they started posting it online. Why do you think other kids are so quick to jump on board and to support and reinforce, you know, the bullying? Yeah, I think it's hard for kids to stand up. And I think it's even hard as adults, too, when we see bullying happen. I think it's just you don't want to be the next target for somebody. So if you stand up for somebody, then you have a higher chance of being that next target. So I think that's 
where we lack as a society of teaching kids to be resilient and standing up for themselves and standing up for others. What kind of messages did you get from like your parents, you know, or family, you know, Mm -hmm. about, about this situation? So my, in eighth grade, I ended up, I ran track and field and I ended up crossing my mile race and ended up passing out in my friend's arms just from lack of eating. And so my friends told the counselor and the counselor pulled me in and she's like, I hear you're not eating. And I'm like, no, I'm eating like, cause eating disorders are such a manipulative disorder where you didn't ask me when the last time I ate, you asked me if I was eating, which I was like a week ago, you know? So my, they, she then called my parents and I just kind of lied through my teeth to my parents. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm eating. Like, it was just like, a fluke thing, whatever. Um, so then it was kind of dismissed, but then come a few years later, as my eating disorder got worse, then my parents got me help and things were, like that. Were you thin at the time? Yes. Mm-hmm. I was just over a hundred pounds when my eating disorder started. So all of the things people were saying about you, they were completely false. Mm-hmm. Looking back at that, yes. Ask me that in that time period, I would have been like, oh my gosh, no, like I, I am what they're saying. I'm I'm fat. I'm ugly. Like I would have totally agreed with it. But now looking back and I'm like, okay, it's like weird the things you remember when you go through traumatic experiences. Like I remember going to the doctor to get my physical for volleyball in eighth grade. And I remember stepping on the scale and having that scale just be slightly over a hundred pounds. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am fat, like pe- people are right about me, you know, but now I look back then, I'm like, how distorted my mindset was with everything. Did your parents know you were being bullied? Not until later on. I kept it hidden. How come? I was just ashamed of what was happening to me and didn't want to talk about it with people. And my parents are two of the best people that have ever walked this planet. So it's also my parents out now will be like, well, like, could we have done something different? And I just think in that moment that I didn't want help and I didn't want people to know what was happening when I went to school. For, for those parents out there that may have a child being bullied, what, what could they do? You know, what, what is it that, you know, you would advise them, you know, as far as how to connect with their kid to be able to find out about this? I think it's opening that communication with your child and not be judgmental about what they say or like harp on how they feel, like acknowledging how they feel and empathizing with them. I know once all of this started coming out about what I was going through and what kids were doing to me, every Friday before school, my mom would take me out um, and we'd go get coffee and just kind of talk. So like doing things that's not like sitting them down in a chair that's like right in front of them, like what's going on, but maybe like playing catch or, you know, going for coffee, something that's more, doesn't seem as direct, but just also letting them know like you're there for them. You have their back, like no matter what is going on. Do you know if your parents noticed anything different about you? Towards sophomore year in high school, they did. Okay. So that's already four or five years into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting thing about shame and anyone who's listening to this that um, has been bullied or is a bully. It's shame is, you know, the 
common denominator. And the thing about shame is it has power over us if we keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it wants you to keep it a secret because you think you are. Right. You know, whatever they're saying and not mm-hmm. good enough. And, and it's such a horrible feeling. And it's the foundation of all addictions, you know, mm-hmm. and disorders. And I really would encourage you to find someone that's safe to talk to. Mm-hmm. and say it out loud definitely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely. So, and it doesn't have to be a parent it could just be another trusted adult like a family member or a church member or somebody but definitely that so in, in your experience in, in working with kids who have been bullied and you know how bad do the, does the bullying get what have you what have you heard People, when they hear my full story, they say, like, my story takes bullying to, like, a whole nother level because of how intense my story is. And I've seen it worse from kids also of, you know, being thrown into lockers and just bashed online and things like that where adults that are supposed to be the ones helping them through that, whether that's like the school protecting them or things like that, it just doesn't happen the way it should. When you think about the different forms of bullying, um, being talked about Mm -hmm. or being physically, you know, I know you had things thrown at you Mm -hmm. or, um, being publicly humiliated. What, what are the different coping skills and what are each of those? Um, how do they impact you in a different way? Yeah. So during my, the bullying that happened to me, my coping mechanisms were not eating and having severe negative thoughts about myself and not wanting to be alive and things like that. Where once I started getting help for those things, my coping mechanisms were a lot of reframing my thoughts because when you hear you're ugly so many times, but then one person tells you you're pretty, you're like, yeah, okay, I've heard I'm ugly so many times. And so it was a lot of like reframing my thoughts of, you know, I remember one time somebody said, Kristen, fat cow go moo. And that was like my description of myself. And so it was a lot of like reframing of like, okay, well, I know I'm not a cow because I'm a human being kind of a thing. And then I also find found a lot of healing in running, um, hitting the pavement in a healthy way was something that also helped me through. And then also realizing who actually belongs in my life, like friends wise, because I kept friends in my circle who also bullied me and things like that. So it was a lot of working with my the therapist at the time and like my parents just really figuring out like who are my true friends and who actually deserves a spot in my life. You know, um, generations ago, I think the common message would have been just fight back, mm-hmm. right? And what would you say about that now? I think there needs to be a point where we do stand up for ourselves and I ended up actually standing up for myself later on in my story and that ended up me being thrown against being followed into a bathroom and thrown against a bathroom wall and being threatened to be killed and things like that. But where my struggle with that lies is the school told me that it was okay that she said and did that to me because she's had a rough upbringing. So I think teaching kids to fight for themselves and advocate for themselves and advocate when they see other people being bullied is so key in these things. But then also it falls on our school system also to, to not allow that kind of stuff to happen or make excuses for why people act or do the things that they do. 
Let's go back a minute because I really want to give you an opportunity to share your story in its full, yeah. and then we'll talk about these other components. So we'll go back to sixth grade, and there's the burn book, and mm-hmm. you know we'll just let you talk for a little bit and whatever you want to share. Yeah. Um, so sixth grade was the burn book. Eighth grade was kids just yelling in the hallway that I was fat and ugly and being bullied in uh, school and church. And that's when my eating disorder and depression started. Freshman and sophomore year, I was like, okay, I'm going to high school. Like there's going to be new kids. It's going to be great. Things are going to be so much better. Well, it wasn't. Um, My eating disorder and depression became more severe. And that's when the thoughts of suicide and self-harm started. Kids told me that if they looked like me, that they would kill themselves. Um, A teacher told me she didn't like me because I wasn't a size zero and I wasn't a cheerleader. In high school, I was a three-sport athlete. But for some reason, I people ask me all the time, like, why do you think the teacher bullied you? And I'm like, I have no idea. But that's also a problem because you have these people who are supposed to be role models to your children and they're telling your child that they don't like you because you don't fit this stereotype. Um, I had my best friend yell in the cafeteria one day that she didn't, Kirsten, why are you getting that? You're already fat. Um, I had people throw gum in my hair and trash at me. I was compared to a Chucky doll. I had my first grade picture sent around the school saying ugly then, ugly now. So, I mean, as you can imagine, like things just got worse and it just really took a toll on me and my self-esteem and my self-worth and I didn't want to be alive anymore. And at the end of sophomore year, that's when my parents started to kind of realize like there's something going on. Things aren't, she's not okay kind of a thing. And so then in between my sophomore and junior year, I was hospitalized for 10 days for my eating disorder and suicidal thoughts. And when I was in the hospital, doctors told my parents that if I did not get help and transfer out of the high school I was in in two months when we would normally be shopping for my homecoming dress because this was July when I was hospitalized that my parents would be picking on my funeral outfit I think it hits a whole other level when doctors tell you that you're like expect to be dead in two months because of the severity of everything So after I got home, my parents suggested that I talk with Matt, who was the youth pastor at my church and was at the time diagnosed with cancer. And I was like, I'm not telling anybody my story anymore because when I was in the hospital, I shared my story with a social worker and she told me that I was lying. And I told her, well, if I'm lying, then you can just take me out of this hospital right now. Um, And she said that because of how intense my story is. Like, it's hard to believe, like, all of these things happened. Um, So I was like, I'm not talking to anybody anymore about my story. Um, But I ended up sitting down with Matt, and I shared with him my story. And I broke down crying, just asking him, like, why me? Why am I going through this? And he looked at me and was like, why me? Why cancer? So at that moment, like, an unexplainable friendship was built just solely on the fact of, like, questioning and under why is this happening to me and am I worthy and things like that so he became a huge part in my recovery which is a huge factor too when I teach kids like you need to have a trusted adult in your life it could be your parents or it could be somebody else to just always be there for you to kind of listen and talk so I did get a therapist after getting on the hospital also and she reiterated that we needed to talk with the principal at my current school to get me transferred to a different high school. So I transferred high schools for my junior and senior year. And I was like, okay, like 
new, new school, new people. Like this has got to be the end of this now. And it didn't happen right away, the bullying. And since sharing my story more, people often ask like, okay, like what started the bullying again? And I went on a date with this guy and it was a super awkward day, like typical high school, like we weren't talking, like it's just really awkward. Um, and he reached over and grabbed my chest and made a sexual harassing comment. And I just felt so uncomfortable and so violated. I texted one of my friends and I was like, Hey, like, can you call me telling me that your cat died? Like, I just need to get, go home and get out of this situation. So my friend called me in, he took me home. Well, that next day he told his friends that I left the date early and I started receiving harassing text messages from unknown numbers, calling me a bitch, telling me what a horrible person I was for leaving the date early. And that's kind of when the bullying started up again. Um, people would make gagging noises at me as I walked down the hallway. Um, they created an online forum that was dedicated to making fun of me. Uh, one day I wore a pink shirt and it's really funny. Like I said, the things you remember, but Prior to school starting, my mom took me shopping. She's like, we'll get you some new clothes, kind of help build that confidence up a bit. And I remember grabbing this pink shirt and the tag on the shirt was different what the tag on the hanger was. And I tried it on and it fit. And I was like, oh, like now that I'm healing, I'm like, okay, like maybe I'm not what people are saying because if I fit into this, then I'm not the definition of what people are telling me. So I remember the exact outfit I wore, like I was excited to wear this pink shirt, like I was feeling good. And then because it was pink, people started comparing me to a pig and started oinking at me anytime they saw me. And so then one night I was babysitting for a family and I received a harassing and sexual harassing text message from an unknown number. And due to the severity of the text message, the police got involved and the two kids who sent the text message, were issued a restraining order, and I was finally feeling good for, like, standing up for myself because I'm like, okay, like, you're not going to mess with me anymore. Like, I'm not putting up with people treating me the way that they were. Well, when you get your – when you get people in trouble with the police, they tell their friends what happened, and I started receiving harassing text messages from unknown numbers. Some of them included death threats at me. And so then that's when that day at school I was walking to the bathroom and someone followed me and grabbed me and threw me against the bathroom wall and told me if I ever picked my head up in the hallway or did anything like that with going to the police that they would kill me. And the school told me when I went to them that it was okay that she said and did that to you because she's had a rough upbringing. So I'm like, okay, like if the school's not going to protect me, like I'm going to have to fight for myself. Um, so as these text messages were rolling in, like threatening to kill me, I responded to one of the text messages saying, I didn't effing do anything wrong. And my dad texted me and he's like, Kristen, go to the bathroom and call me. I'm like, okay. So I go to the bathroom and he, I call him and he's like, you're about to get called down to the office and get in trouble. And I'm like, for what? And he's like, cause you swore. And I'm like, People are threatening to kill me, and that's okay, but because I swore I'm going to get in trouble with the school, and he's like, it's not right. Like, I know that. Like, lay low and kind of just let things slide. Um, thankfully, I had a teacher who was my saving grace at that school who allowed me to hide out in her classrooms when I just didn't feel safe and just kind of talk to her when the school wasn't protecting me like they should. And then eventually, what seems like seemed like a million years later, um, I graduated high school and have never turned back. In July, it'll be a, almost 
it'll be 11 years in remission from my eating disorder and suicidal thoughts and depression. So, yeah. Wow. What a story. What a story. I would imagine too, when you share this story with kids, they believe you because they know who they are and what they're doing and what they're seeing, you know, and adults, I think whatever issues they haven't resolved within themselves Mm -hmm. blocks them from really, you know, looking at what's actually happening. That's not uncommon, sadly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember being in sixth grade and there was a group of girls that there was like one girl that would systematically target one other girl at a time and get everyone on the same page. And then they'd ostracize that girl. And then somehow that girl would make it back in and another one would get ostracized. And they, this kind of happened in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Interestingly, I was never a part of it because I was kind Mm -hmm. of a fringe person to begin with. And Mm -hmm. as each of those girls got ostracized, they hung out with me because I was you know, available. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, that whole group turned on the the ringleader, and she actually left the school. Wow. And, you know, I know that when people are hurting, that's when they hurt other people. Mm. Or, or that's, you know, it's not that everyone who's hurting hurts other people, but everyone who's hurting other people are hurting. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what would you say to the people who treated you badly? and hurt you, what would you say to them today? Honestly, I think I would thank them. I would thank them for what they did to me because now it has given me a platform where I can tell other kids, like, you're not alone. Like, I have been there. I have gone through bullying that was supposed to kill me. And I sat up at night crying, like, not wanting to be alive. And I've, you know, restricted food and had my head in the toilet. But, like, thank you. Because now I can, because I've overcome that, I can now help somebody else. And I think that is part of the healing journey is finding, you know, how did this experience shape me and help me become the person I am today? What are some of the things you've learned about yourself in your healing journey? I think self-love is always going to be something that is a struggle for me just because of what people have said to me. And now that I've come forth and starting to share my story more, the thought process of, okay, well, what if I stand up and somebody's like, well, yeah, you are ugly. Like that's probably why, you know? So like, it's still a lot of like working through those thoughts and reframing those thoughts. But I think in this healing journey, I've just learned, like, I am not defined by what anybody says about me. And I am so much stronger than what one I thought I was. And so much I'm more worthy than what kids told me I was so I I think that's a really important point because I I think majority of the experience of being bullying is being bullied is uh, feeling alone Mm -hmm. right and you know there was a period of time in grade school where I was systematically targeted or I was just targeted Mm -hmm. by you know another kid in another grade and you know walking home from school it was always this physical altercation Mm -hmm. and you know you feel alone you feel like there's nobody there to help Mm -hmm. you with it and you have to deal with it on your own Mm -hmm. right yeah definitely and I think that's what's so powerful in sharing stories whether it's bullying or abuse or whatever it is because you give somebody that light and to let them know like they're not alone like you've been there so you're that you're that 
farther out person, like, oh, I can get to that point too. Because like a year into my recovery, I attended an event and one of the speakers stood on stage and she's like, I had an eating disorder growing up. And I was like, mind blown because I'm like, oh, me too. Like, I'm in the stage of recovery. Like, I can see you've recovered. So that gives me hope within me that I can get there also. So now has your experience growing up and being bullied, has that impacted your relationships throughout your life? Yes. Um, uh, growing up during that time, I dated guys because I wanted them to validate who I was and to love me because I couldn't love myself. So my choices in guys were not the greatest. Um, so that definitely took a toll. Um, friendships were also really hard for me because when you get bullied by your best friend, that sets the tone of how you think everyone's going to treat you and things like that. And even now, it's still something that I work through because I put my trust into people and I open myself up because I'm like deep down inside me. I'm like, I don't want this to happen again. Like I'll, you know, do all these things to get to make sure like I trust you and I'm going to open up to you. And then when I get when they hurt me, then it kind of hits at me a little harder than what it should. So it's always still like a work in progress when it comes to like friendships now but it's also learning and setting new boundaries for myself that I, when I had boundaries before, they weren't the healthiest. Where now I'm, you know, you learn how to have better and healthier boundaries with people. When we look at relationships, our first relationship is with ourself. Mm-hmm. And this concept that people who are hurting hurt other people. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, when girls are hurting, they hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is the eating disorders or the self-harm. Can you talk about some of the thinking you had that led you down that path? Yeah, I think because kids told me that if they looked like me, that they would kill them, kill themselves. And that, you know, I had a kid tell me in eighth grade that he's like, don't worry, I used to be fat just like you until I went bulimic. And so some of those little tidbits also were put into my mind that, I'm like, okay, like, well, maybe I'll just not eat or maybe I'll hurt myself. And I think self-harm happens when you want to, you want to be in control of your pain. So I can't control the pain that other people are giving me, but I can control the pain by not eating or throwing up or hurting myself. So you were trying to find somewhere in your life where you had ultimate control. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And just wanted, I was like, okay, well, maybe if I starve myself a little more, then people will stop calling me ugly or stop calling me fat. So it's a vicious, it was a vicious mind game I played with myself of unhealthy coping skills of, oh, if I starve myself for X amount of days, then people will stop bullying me. Was that a conscious thought or was that kind of a slippery slope kind of thing? A hundred percent a slippery slope. And it feeds on itself. Like when you stop eating, it, it distorts your thinking. Mm-hmm. And that distortion of thinking and, and it, you know, I did a, a study on this once and it was the difference between bulimia and anorexia mm-hmm. and people who had anorexia who were completely not feeding themselves at all developed weird, like OCD type symptoms, like the room might be a mess, but they had to have their shoes all lined up. Mm-hmm. Whereas people who were bulimic and got some nutrition before they threw up. They didn't develop those kind of things, but it's really interesting to see what that does to our thinking mm-hmm. and and our emotions. Definitely. I think 
any form of the disorder that I had. Like it definitely distorted a lot of my thinking and it took a lot of therapy and a lot of time to get my, the, my mind back to where it needed to be in a healthy place and to kind of reframe and rework all those negative thoughts that were put in my head for seven years. I would imagine too that the experience of having friendships that include the bullying would make it seem normal that people would just treat you that way. Mm-hmm. And when your mind is distorted, the lying is a natural thing that happens because you don't know what truth is at mm-hmm. that point. Right. Definitely. And I think that's why too, it's hard in the sense of when it comes from people, it affects you. But when it comes from your best friend, then it just hits you at a whole nother level of, okay, well, if she thinks that, then everybody's got to think that because she's my best friend kind of a thing. Have you resolved this with anyone? Like, are you still friends with her? Does she understand the whole dynamics or? So we stopped being friends after she said that. And then we actually ended up going to college together for two years. We hit on it a little, but probably not as in depth as we should have. But it's kind of one of those I've made peace with it and I've healed from it that I don't necessarily feel like it would need to be brought back up. I would think it's going to take another 10 or 15 years. How old are you right now? 27. For other people to mature enough to understand mm-hmm. what type of pain they caused, you know, yeah, and, it, and it does happen, you know, when you hit like 40 years old and over where you start going, Ugh, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a small event for them to yell something out mm-hmm. and, and not really understanding that huge impact that it has. Definitely. So after I shared my story this past summer, my brother flew in and heard me speak also. And we sat down the next day and had breakfast together. And he was like, I had no idea what you went through. And he's like, I remember making fun of you, but like that didn't cause my eating disorder or depression or anything. Cause that was just a brotherly thing. But he's like, I didn't realize like what you were going through and I added to it just by being like a little brother kind of a thing. So in that sense of like that kind of healing, it was pretty cool to see how that relationship evolved just by him realizing it. How are the schools approaching bullying these days? From my experience being in different school districts in different cities, They, a lot of times, just put up signs that say, like, don't be a bully and things like that. And a lot of times the bullying is just kind of shoved under the rug and it isn't dealt with as it should. And that irks a fire in me like no other because I'm like, no, like, this is why we need to do this. Like, this is why we need to protect kids. If bullying's happening, we need to address it and we need to talk about it and we need to implement plans to not let this happen anymore for these kids because – I don't want anybody to ever go through what I had to go through. And if somebody could have knocked it in sixth grade, like what would that have looked like in my life too? You know? So I think schools need a lot of learning in it, but I also think that, like I said, because it's so common driven and test driven and that mental health aspect isn't as strong in schools like it needs to be. Yeah. I know of some school districts that have a zero tolerance policy when it gets to a physical level Mm-hmm. And, and some uh, kids are even actually uh, arrested by police, mm-hmm. you know, because of the zero tolerance policy. But what we're talking about here is, you know, a psychological mm-hmm. type of abuse that occurs. And, and there really isn't any standard uh, policy on how to address it. No, 
And then that's when you have a lot of school shootings and kids who, you know, retaliate in a way. And you're like, you could, this could have been prevented if we had the mental aspect of it. Or even when, you know, if you're thrown against a wall or threatened to be killed, like, not have it swept under the rug, like actually have action in place. Like it shouldn't take someone beating someone up to have the police escort them out. Like there needs to be better protocols for it all. From a spiritual perspective about why we have life on earth and what happens when we die, how do you make sense of this in terms of that type of question? So I hated God, like to my core. I was like, he doesn't love me. He he obviously doesn't want me here. Like if he was here for me, like I wouldn't be going through this and things like that. And that's when it took my friend Matt to really be like, like I have those questions also, but I also know like God's there for me. But it wasn't done in the sense of like Bible verses thrown at me and like, you know, God loves you. Like you shouldn't be doing this X, Y, and Z. Like it was more like, come from a place of like, yes, I, we believe the same thing and I'm here for you kind of a thing. So that kind of helped rebuild my spiritual life and relationship with God. And is that part of why if you did run into the people who hurt you, you would say thank you? I think so. But I think it's also in the sense of kids who have heard my story and have reached out to me and been like, I've like I'm walking a similar journey or, you know, after hearing your story, like I realized like I don't want to commit suicide anymore and life's worth living. Like I think that's where it's become so powerful in that sense where I can be look back and say like, thank you for what you did. Yes, you almost killed me, but I'm glad you didn't because now I can save someone else's life who's walking and in the same shoes I were. So let's go through each of the different groups of people and what you would say to them today. What advice do you have for teachers or schools that don't know what to do for someone who's being bullied? Uh, Reach out to me and I will help you. (laughs) But I think it comes down to like implementing a really strong no tolerance bullying policy that encompasses everything, not just the physical aspect of bullying and creating a safe environment for kids to feel comfortable coming to them with issues and then really Because I've worked in a lot of different school settings. And I think that the when you keep teachers on just because they're tenured and things like that, when they're the ones bullying your students also, like, that's a problem. And that needs to be addressed rather than pushing it under the rug. One of the difficult things is that isolating makes things worse. Mm -hmm. And so we have this social media aspect and... That's been a really difficult thing for lots of people to navigate. What would you say to parents, parents who are dealing with a kid that maybe they don't know what's happening, especially Mm -hmm. online for them, but they're noticing a difference in behavior? What are some things that advice you'd have for the parents? Continue to like just kind of check in with them, but not make it like direct. Because I know if my parents were like, why aren't you eating? Like I would have been like, stop talking to me. So like creating that open environment, but also where it's not just sitting down directly, where it's doing something that they enjoy, that they're not cognitively like realizing like, oh, we're having this conversation about it. And then I would also recommend you're the parent, like you have control over their phone. 
take it. Like I know my parents, after I got out of the hospital, my parents had full access to my phone. They read through all my text messages just to keep me safe. So if you're concerned about something, then I think you need to address it. And because most kids won't tell you about, there's all those secret apps and I swear there's like a new one every day where I'm like learning about it and I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that means. So, you know, those apps where kids are talking to kids and you don't know about it because it's not on their messaging and things like that. So I think it's the education part on that too, of being aware of like what's out there, what are your kids on and really monitoring that also. Do you know what your parents felt about monitoring your phone before that? And did someone actually give them that idea or did they come up with that on their own to start monitoring your phone? I honestly don't know how they came up with that idea with monitoring my phone. But after I got out of the hospital, I didn't have a door. I didn't have my phone. And if I did, it was for certain hours of the day. I was not allowed to go to the bathroom after I ate. If I had to go for like an emergency, my mom sat outside the door with me to make sure um, I was checked for scars and things like that. So I think they learned a lot about what they had to do when I was in the hospital of how they can implement it at home to keep me safe. Do you think that parents should monitor their kids' phones, even if they're not being bullied? Absolutely. Do you remember how you felt when your parents decided they were going to do that? Oh, I hated my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Hated. But now I look back and I'm like, thank you. Like, I am alive because you guys took those steps to keep me safe, even though, like, you made my life hell and I didn't like you and you were the two worst people that have ever walked the planet. But now I look back and I'm like, thank you. Because I know I'm, I know I'm lucky to have parents who will do absolutely anything to help me. And I know not everyone is as lucky as I am. So definitely check your, check your kid's phone, even if they're not, cause you don't know, maybe they're bullying someone. Maybe they're not being, being bullied, but maybe they're being a bully to somebody. So, and, and maybe not even aware that what they're doing is inappropriate. Right. Definitely. Would you say that your parents ended up getting the brunt of your pain once you started your healing journey? My mom, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, both my parents, yes. But I think when I talk about things or vent about things, even like now as an adult, where I like call my mom and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to talk about this. Like she gets the brunt end of it just because she's my mom kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, definitely they both took a brunt end to it. You know, I just really want to say that to the parents out there, especially the moms mm-hmm. who are taking the brunt of it. You are not your kid's friend and mm-hmm. you're taking the brunt of it because you're safe to them. Mm-hmm. You're a safe definitely. person that they can give that to and they need those boundaries and those limits and stay strong. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, if you need help, certainly that's the work we do. Kristen is able to help you in that perspective, reach your kids. Yeah. And, and it's okay if your kids do not like you, mm-hmm. and it's actually a good sign that you're doing the right thing to help support them and keep them safe. Or them not liking you, you've created that safe space for them to come to you. And then later in life, they can thank you for being the hard people yeah. that you to them. Like so. around 25. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and last question, what is it you would say to someone who's hurting right now, who is um, in a situation that is out of control and they really aren't getting much help? I think at first I would just let them know like I, they're not alone, that there are dark days, that there's light. And as hard as it is, like I would hope that I could help inspire them to see the light at the end of their tunnel because we all need that person. I mean, even if our 
dark days aren't dark like they were back then. We still have moments in life where things are dark and just let them know, like, you're not alone. Like, I've walked this mountain. Like, let me help you on the recovery of it. Kristen, want to thank you so much for being on our podcast today. If someone were to want to get in touch with you, what is your contact information? Yeah, I can be reached at katiemotivates.com, and there's my email and everything on there. So Wonderful, and we're also going to uh, include that in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So thank you again for joining us, and, and for all our listeners out there, thank you for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships, and this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. You know, human beings have been sharing their story since the beginning of time to grow and to heal and to bond. And we hope that by you sharing your story has enriched your life and the life of our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, which is scheduled for this October, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.